Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life podcast. This is your host, Krista Bigler, private practice integrative nutritionist, helping people across the U.S. reverse digestive issues, eczema, and autoimmunity via phone and video consult. To learn more, visit lessstressednutrition.com. Now, on to the show. So a couple weeks ago, I got this email in my inbox and it said, why your kid's bad behavior is caused by your anxiety. And you know what? I got, I have kind of a strong-willed child. And so this, this, uh, this description or this subject line did catch my attention. You know, those emails that are just kind of written for you, (laughs) especially when they're out of school for the summer. So this is what the email said. Your cat, your kids are acting like feral cats. They won't listen. They fight and raise your blood pressure. It's not their fault or their challenges. It's your body's chemical reaction to stress that's adding to their bad behavior. And it's also why you may have been experiencing real pain. Noted spine surgeon, Dr. David Hanscom will explain the connection between your anxiety and surges of body chemicals and reveal how you can train your body to control these surges, even when stress comes from your kids. I thought this guy sounded fantastic, like a fantastic addition to the show. So Dr. Hanscom is the author of the book, Back in Control, a surgeon's roadmap out of chronic pain. And he'll share research-based evidence and information about the direct connection between stress, the body's chemistry, and physical pain. And also how Western medicine's answer to stress has led to drug abuse, gratuitous surgeries, and just plain bad doctoring for adults and kids alike. Dr. Hanscom has been on the Dr. Oz show and Fox News, and he'll change the way you react to stressful situations, getting uh, getting us all back on track. So I loved this email, and I can't wait to talk to Dr. Hanscom about the physiology of stress. I this is I live for this. So welcome, Dr. Hanscom. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be on the show. Yeah. So we were chatting a bit off air and he was giving me a little preview, but I think the most interesting thing is I get this email and we're talking about anxiety and stress and that's not what you expect to get from a spine surgeon, honestly. I mean, really these things don't, it does not feel like these things jive. So let's talk about the beginning, how you go from being a spine surgeon to almost not really a former personal, but I know that's not right almost like trying to change how people feel about things and how they're adapting to stress. I mean, we were talking about a lot of things off air, but let's first talk about your own story. You, uh, in a day, things changed for you, right? Right. I was trained in a very traditional manner. Went to medical school at Loma Linda, did two years of mental medicine residency, did an orthopedic 
Spine Surgery in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I was considered one of the top fellowships in the world at the time. And I got there by being this basically this, this person, bring it on. And what I didn't realize is that I came from a very abusive background. I was very used to suppressing stress. I thought that's the way life just was. And I was really, really, really tough. And I was actually nicknamed the brick, which in retrospect wasn't necessarily a compliment, even though I took it as a compliment at the time. And I ended up being a very complex spine surgeon, and I did it. I was an excellent surgeon. And then in 1990, I was driving across the Lake Washington Bridge in Seattle, where I practiced for 32 years, and I had a panic attack. And I honestly, before that point in time, did not know what anxiety was. And my thing was, in fact, I, I was so unattached to anxiety that had a patient come in during my residency that had an anxiety disorder, I had to go to my textbooks and look up the term. I didn't know what it meant. So I went from that level of being separated from my anxiety to a panic attack. And for the next 15 years, I developed severe anxiety, chronic pain, et cetera. And it was a disaster. It was just unbelievable. I still managed to stay practicing, but I just kept sinking deeper and deeper and deeper. And of course, being a physician, I tried everything including 13 solid years of psychotherapy, and nothing worked. It just kept getting worse. And so it was just puzzling me to go in one day from no anxiety to extreme anxiety. I thought anxiety was a psychological issue, and it's actually not. And so what happened is that I came out of it pretty much by accident in 2003. It took me another five years to figure out a little bit what happened, in 2011, I heard a lecture by Dr. Howard Schubner out of Detroit about the whole what's called mind-body syndrome. And there's over 30 symptoms, physical symptoms, of chronic pain. I had 17 of them at the same time. And I'm going, what? And anyway, within a day, I figured out exactly what was going on. Then the neuroscience research the last five years has been very, very compelling as to the nature of chronic pain. And it's actually a solvable problem Whereas most of medicine looks at it as something to be managed or dealt with or tolerated. But I've watched over a thousand patients now go to pain free. And I say that tongue in cheek because life just does keep coming at you. But they're not trapped by chronic pain anymore. And I'm one of those stories. I went from extreme chronic pain. Turns out mental pain is a bigger problem, by the way. We'll talk about that in a second. But not only am I fine, my anxiety has dropped dramatically. But I'm also thriving at a level I didn't know existed. And that's what happens to most of my patients is once they escape the grips of anxiety, they get to thrive at a level they never thrived before, before they had the chronic pain. So this is 19, this is in the 90s, right? I, th I don't remember what you right. said. Uh, it's 1990. Uh, 1990, yeah. Yep, you're driving across the bridge. You have a panic attack. Uh, I'm nervous for right. all the other drivers around you. Um, so right. you, but you say you figured out what the problem was in a day. I guess this is a this is a smart guy. <laughs> a lot of people, no, 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 a lot no, of no, people take a while. Go ahead. Oh no, no, it was the opposite. It happened in a day, but it took me maybe 20 years to figure it out because okay, nobody nobody sense. could tell me the yeah nobody could tell me the what what happened. I mean, it, so again, I thought it was psychological. And I was very serious, very well, obviously I had a career and it was just starting out in a young family. So I was extremely serious about trying to find out what the problem was, but nobody could tell me the answer. Mm -hmm. 
And so in defense of the medical profession, none of us are trained in the tools it takes to solve chronic pain. But if you look at the current neuroscience research the last five years, it's a very clear problem. It's a very clear solution and it's consistently solvable by very minimal interventions. Okay. So it's 1990. You spent 20 years spending a lot of money trying, because you were very serious, trying to figure out what's causing this anxiety, right? Uh, right. Which kind of took right. you to your knees a little bit and is a big chunk of life, quite frankly. Yep. So, yep. but then you said, you just said recently that you retired. So let's talk about that. And then we'll talk about more of this, more of the story and how you unraveled this. So you retired recently and that did not cause the decrease in the stress. Um, that was more of a voluntary decision. Correct. So what happened is that in 2003, I came out of chronic pain somewhat by accident. And it took me, and at that point, life started to expand dramatically. And I started to share what I thought were the right concepts for my patients. Some worked, some didn't work. But over the next five years, a process emerged that became very consistent, both in my own journey, but also my patient's journey of how to solve chronic pain. So then people, people would come in after years and years of chronic pain and by using really simple interventions in a stepwise manner, people started to go to pain-free. And I was surprised. I wasn't really expecting this. And I was like most physicians. We The data shows that only 20% of physicians are comfortable treating chronic pain. Less than 1% enjoy it. And as I learned these tools and learned to implement them, why it became incredibly enjoyable, became the most rewarding part of my practice by far. I actually give lectures around the country on how to training physicians and other healthcare professionals how to enjoy treatment of chronic pain, but it's a consistent, once you understand this, a neurochemical response to the environment that sustain elevated levels of stress chemicals, once you learn how to train your body to have less stress chemicals, is game on. Your body physically changes. So that's what I did. And so what happened, I had more and more patients getting better without surgery. Then I was seeing three to five patients every week having surgery on normal spines or recommended and the surgery became bigger and more aggressive with higher complication rates. And I just hit a threshold. I just couldn't watch people keep keep getting better with essentially minimal interventions and having patients with horrible interventions and horrible outcomes. And the, the, the split became so severe, I just had to quit and do what I can do. So I'm actually, I didn't really retire. I actually made a decision really at the peak of my career to pursue this project full-time but yeah i'm really determined to flip the face of medicine right now yeah well i mean you have to it's it doesn't work to not be fueled by passion otherwise you dread driving across that bridge every day to work um Right. you've done forever. Okay, so right. quit spine surgery. In fact, uh, one of your books, which we'll talk about later, I believe is called Do You Even Need Spine Surgery? It's not exactly the title, right. but you really need spine right. surgery, um, which is kind of kind of fascinating. So I want to touch on a point before we get into the the chemistry of this. Um, you said life, be, or, or off air, you said, when you have this going on, life becomes smaller. And you said you came out of I think we're calling it anxiety for you in 2003 accidentally and life expanded quite a bit. Let's right. talk about that because I think that's a, a feeling I see in people, right? We don't want to leave the house. Like, tell me about that. Um, what you mean by that? Well, what happens is that every creature, every living creature has a survival response. And in the course of human evolution, the species of creatures that, or evolution period, the species that didn't pay attention to the environmental cues didn't survive. 
humans developed consciousness and language about 70,000 years ago. And what happened is they became interactive and social. They went from the bottom of the food chain to the top. And again, based on working together, survival, et cetera. So really, every living creature has a survival response that's a neurochemical response that allows them to be safe. So if you have a physical threat, your body secretes adrenaline, cortisol, histamines, and other stress chemicals to enhance your chances of survival. Humans have a problem that I call the curse of consciousness is that the neuroscience research shows that though that thoughts, unpleasant thoughts go to a similar part of the brain as a physical threat. So a mental threat and a physical threat are processed in a similar manner with the same chemical response. The problem that humans have compared to other animals is that we have consciousness so we can put a name to it. Secondly, the survival response is so strong that we can't escape it. In other words, you can't escape your thoughts. And the research has shown that when you try to suppress thoughts, why they become stronger, there's a trampoline effect where they become much stronger. Of course, we can suffer with their thoughts. Then the other problem that's driving the opioid epidemic and other addictions is masking, which works while you're masking, but doesn't obviously give you a great life. So you can suffer, suppress, or mask your thoughts, but it doesn't work. So what happens, every human being, I call the curse of consciousness, is is subject to sustained levels of unpleasant thoughts. The research term is called URTs, unpleasant repetitive thoughts. All of us have a certain level of stress chemicals that's a baseline stress chemicals because of our consciousness. The unconscious brain keeps you alive. It processes 11 million bits of information per second. The conscious brain processes 40. If you're going to try to solve this neurochemical response by conscious means, like, for instance, talk therapy, it can't work. It's a complete, absolute mismatch. There's no chance. So it turns out that when you're full of stress chemicals, you feel anxious. Anxious is just a description of elevated levels of stress hormones. It's not a diagnosis. It's not a disease. Just like when you're lying on the beach, relaxing in the sun, your body's full of oxytocin, the love drug, dopamine, the reward chemical, um, serotonin is, of course, the antidepressant. There's a group of drugs called the GABA drugs, which is very similar to, to Valium, which is relaxation drugs. So when you're at play and relaxed, it's a wonderful chemical state. Your sense of well-being really is dependent on your state of chemistry. The problem is when you're full of so when you're you wouldn't call relaxed a diagnosis, right? And so you're not going to call anxiety a diagnosis. It's just a description of the level of your stress chemicals. If you just visualize a thermometer on the wall and say you're feeling anxious or upset, whatever it is, just visualize this thermometer saying, okay, I'm not anxious. I'm just simply my stress chemicals are elevated. Anxiety is just a sensation generated by the levels of stress chemicals. Stress isn't the problem. It's that reaction to the stress. So it's a chemical reaction to the stress that creates anxiety. And I asked you this question earlier, and I'll ask it to you again now you know the answer, is that if anxiety is simply a description or a measure of your levels of stress hormones, how do you decrease anxiety? And I'm not going to answer this because I don't have the right answer. <laughs> I was going to say, I like free tools and breathing exercises. And actually, I have to right. be honest here, Dr. Hanscom. I, when I started working with gut health issues, I was unprepared for the level of anxiety that I was met with, with clients. And so right. I had to, I had to scramble to find resources for people 
quickly, right? And when people right. are messaging me and telling me about having panic attacks, you know, like the 20% of physician, physicians that don't feel comfortable treating chronic pain, I mean, I don't feel like that was something I was trained to to work on, right? It was just, it was just a, right. it just a side effect of the conditions, right. but go ahead. Right. So can I train you right now? Cause yeah. this is a self-directed process. It's yeah, honestly well, incredibly simple. And so by the way, so only 20% are comfortable. 80% of physicians are not comfortable treating chronic pain. It's actually the opposite. Mm-hmm. So only 20% of physicians are comfortable treating chronic pain and included myself historically. Mm-hmm. I would not have the insight that I have to this process unless I spent 15 years in the hole learning this. Mm-hmm. I'm not happy about being in the hole for 15 years, but I'm incredibly grateful that I can pass these concepts on to other people. But the basic, the basic concept here is that anxiety simply is a measurement of your stress chemicals. Again, the unconscious brain is much stronger than the, con- than the conscious brain. So there's two ways to decrease. So the way you decrease anxiety is you decrease the stress chemicals. So what you talked about, there's many methods to do that, and we'll talk about that in a second. But the key issue is that there's two ways of decreasing stress chemicals. One of them is direct means, which is breathing, mindfulness, meditation, relaxation, exercise, visualizations, different ways of doing that. Medications also are an effective way short-term of decreasing the stress chemicals. So again, when you think when you say I have anxiety, you just have to say to yourself, I have elevated levels of stress hormones. That's what it means. Again, as human beings, with our consciousness, we consciousness we tend to identify with that sensation as part of who we are. <clears throat> it is not. It's a universal survival reaction that's necessary. But also remember, the sensation is intended to be so unpleasant that it compels you to take action because it's a survival reaction. It's incredible. I mean, of everything I went through with my chronic pain, the anxiety by far and away was the worst. It turns out anxiety actually is the pain. So what happens is that there's you can directly decrease the stress chemicals with the, with the tools we just discussed. But the other way, which is equally or maybe more important, is decreasing the reactivity of your nervous system to stress. In other words, stress isn't the problem. It's a chemical reaction to the stress. So instead of being stress automatic survival response, you want to dampen the response and shorten it because anxiety is always going to be there. Otherwise, you wouldn't survive, right? Mm-hmm. So you need anxiety to survive. And what happens is called, called neuroplasticity. Where in medical school, we thought the brain was static. You just lost nerve cells as you get older. But what happens, your brain changes every second. You have new neurons, new dendrites, new connections, new myelin, new glial cells. All these things change every second. What happens is that the, we call it neuroplasticity, instead of being stress, automatic survival response, you basically start substituting the response. And with repetition, you start creating an alternate set of circuits that is less reactive. And the metaphor I like to use is, and the sequence, by the way, is awareness. In other words, you have to allow yourself to feel anxiety, which I wasn't doing before. Then you separate from it, create a little bit of a space, and then you redirect. If you're just fighting anxiety with sort of strategies to, you know, avoid it, tackle it, mind over matter, et cetera, you can't win because of the of the mismatch of the conscious versus unconscious brain. But what happens is awareness separation reprogramming. And what happens is that you, if you do that over and over and over again, it actually physically changes your nervous system. We actually know in chronic pain, i.e. mental pain is a bigger problem than the physical pain, your brain actually physically shrinks. 
And when you treat pain successfully, your brain physically re-expands. You actually change the mass of your nervous system either way. So, so let what me happens... Can we recap really quick? So there's... Um, oh, absolutely. The causes of anxiety are increased levels of stress hormones, right? We have small, we have many, many stress chemicals and hormones. There's two, which we can talk about a little bit more. And some of the... I would actually love to talk about the manifestations that people feel from this because it's actually quite interesting. Um, you'll have really kind of random symptoms if some of these neurotransmitters are elevated. But there's two ways to decrease. There's the direct means like vacation. And what else did you have under that? That... that arm or branch and then the de-increasing the reactivity so it's the direct means what else was under the arm well mindfulness meditation exercise visualization all those things allow you to relax mm -hmm. but when you relax what you're actually doing is decreasing the stress chemicals like for instance i i have a little tool that we actually do in surgery called active meditation so just while you're sitting there drop your shoulders just for a second it's about a three to five second exercise drop your shoulders Listen to a sound, feel the chair is sitting on. And what you've done, you switch from racing thoughts to a different physical sensation, right? So you change the input. So instead of trying to suppress the racing thoughts, you simply taste your food, feel the breeze, feel your hand on the door handle, take a deep breath. So just drop your shoulders down a little bit. You might notice my voice dropped just a little bit. Did you notice that? And what happens is you've decreased your stress chemical. You've done two things. You've just simply switched sensory input from racing thoughts to a different physical sensation. And the reason why I call it active meditation because it's real time. As a surgeon, I'm going 1,000 miles an hour. I actually don't have time to meditate. You know, I think meditation is a very powerful tool. Mm -hmm. But the active meditation to me is real time. You just drop your shoulders, done. Yeah. And, it just, and I do it all day long in clinic. It just really helps me interaction with the patients. I, I enjoy love, it. They I enjoy really it. I really love so. that because I always used to talk about how meditation was a bit elusive. It's hard to sit down and do that. So I love that you say, right. you know, you only need these three to five seconds. And you're completely right. As soon as you said that, and I was more aware of this humming, you know, whatever's going on outside and whatever. I mean, it was a very calm feeling. And that's essentially meditation. Right. That is essentially what you're looking for. But usually it's just prescribed longer <laughs> than three to five right. seconds right? exactly okay all right so yep. direct means well go ahead sorry well and i tried it and i probably succeed only maybe 20 to 30 times a day i mean really my commitment is to, is i get because i get wired like everybody else i mean i've done this for 20 years personally is that it's just a learned skill and again there's a saying that neurons that fire together wired together from the neuroscientists it's not psychological you're just dropping down the body's chemistry so going back to the fact that anxiety is not psychological, it's a neurochemical survival reflex, it's a result. And of course, psychology has a role because you have these racing thoughts. The problem is that if you keep concentrating on the thoughts and trying to fix them, your attention's on the thoughts. So what you're doing from a neural, so if you think in terms of neuroplasticity instead mm -hmm. of psychology, is that you want to change the direction of your brain. So if your attention's on yourself, you're actually reinforcing the problem that you're trying to solve. Yes. In other That's words, the hardest part. Oh, sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> I was just going to say, we well, are well, using anxiety as an identity when really it's a survival correct. reaction. We don't want to be, we don't want to yep. identify ourselves as a survival reaction. So I just wanted to draw that line there and say, if we're Absolutely. identifying as an anxious, you know, as a survival reaction, we are living a smaller life than what we can live because we're not identifying as ourself anymore. We lose ourselves. Right. Right. So I, I wrote a website post. So by the way, my book is Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap About a Chronic Pain. So the book is a book. It's a framework that provides a 
so chronic pain is complicated. And so there's lots of variables. And in medicine, we're throwing random simplistic solutions at a complex problem. So each human being is individual. Chronic pain is complex. So each person has an infinitely complex set of issues to be dealt with to solve chronic pain. So no other human being can can solve that problem except you. So what the book does, it's a framework. It just breaks pain into, into its different parts. Each person has a different set of variables to solve. The only person that can solve those is that specific person, right? Mm-hmm. And so what we're doing, people came in with, well, we'll give you headache medications. Well, the bottom line is, and the part I missed in the prior conversation, is that we're all subjected to thoughts. We don't know how to escape them. We have elevated levels of stress chemicals. The reason why there's so many random symptoms is your entire body is now bathed in stress hormones. Each organ can respond in a, in a different way. There are over 30 symptoms of elevated stress chemicals. I have 17 of them at the same t- 17 tell, of them at the same time. Oh yeah. No, I had migraine headaches since I was five. That's actually a classic situation that resolved. So by the way, my symptoms have all resolved and it sounds crazy and almost like snake oil. But again, remember each organ now is going to respond in its own way. So I'd lay in bed at night and have my a racing heart and palpitation. Those are gone. I had tension headaches. I had back pain. I had stomach issues. So the symptoms include irritable bowel, spastic bladder. I had tinnitus ringing in my ear for 25 years, which is a horrible symptom. That's gone because one of the effects of stress chemicals is that it doubles the nerve conduction. Sensations that wouldn't ordinarily occur now start occurring because your your threshold has changed. And I went to ENT doctors. I did have a hearing loss from my construction days. I had all, all sorts of explanations for this tinnitus. They gave me white noise machines, et cetera. It's gone. I never in my wildest dreams thought that symptom would disappear. My feet were burning, severely burning. In fact, at one point when I was going through extreme stress, my feet were like in a toaster oven, and I didn't know what to do. I developed a full-blown obsessive compulsive disorder, which is one of the ultimate anxiety disorders. And what happened is you start getting these intrusive thoughts, which, of course, I was a master of suppressing thoughts. The problem is that is that's when you're suppressing something – that's where your attention is. So the prognosis for obsessive compulsive disorder is quite poor. I'm fine. Never would have expected that either. I mean, that's a brutal, I mean, my entire set of physical symptoms, the part that was the worst was the anxiety. And when it manifested itself as an obsessive compulsive disorder, by the way, I did not have, I did not have an external obsessive compulsive disorder. In other words, I wasn't hand washing or backing up my car, or climbing stairs but it's called internal OCD where you have a an intrusive thought and then you counteract it with a positive thought and it's like this massive ping pong game that never stops. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's gone. So in a lot of people, I mean, eating disorders, obsessive thought patterns, those are a form of OCD and of course, you know, eating disorders are on the rise and so all those are, they're all irrational survival reactions that you can't control. In fact, the more you try to control it. So again, going back to the problem of Anxiety being sustained levels of stress chemicals is the direct methods we talked about. But the neuroplasticity is really critical because it's awareness, separation, reprogramming. So the first tool we start with that does awareness and separation in one move is called expressive writing, where you write down whatever thought it is, positive or negative, normal, bizarre, delusional, whatever it is, you just write down the thought and you tear it up. So what that does, it creates an awareness and separation in one move. That space is connected with vision and feel, which is part of the unconscious brain. It's also a bit like mechanical meditation, which in meditation, of course, you create awareness of a thought, 
you train yourself not to react to it, you can create the awareness and separation if you're a skilled meditator, but it's a hard place to start. There's over a thousand research papers that document that expressive writing works somehow. And we don't know why it works exactly, but from my perspective, it's awareness separation in one move. Then the redirecting, for instance, is the active meditation. There, right there, you have a neuroplasticity situation. But the metaphor I want to hold out there is that you're changing the reactivity of your nervous system. It's similar to learning a new language. And this is the hardest part of the whole project and also the easiest part. Everybody wants to fix themselves, right? You have a problem, you want to fix it. So if you want to learn a new language, let's say you want to learn Spanish, you're going to go to, go to class, you're going to do repetitions. Let's say in five years you're fluent in Spanish, something happened to your brain, right? Mm-hmm. Your, your brain can now speak Spanish. So there's new connections, new dendrites, new cells. Something happens, your nervous system now can speak Spanish. But I, you didn't... I'm obsessed with this analogy, by the way. Just want to throw that out there. <laughs> Okay, okay. Great analogy. Um, so, but you didn't learn Spanish by trying not to speak English, right? So by just not speaking English, Spanish didn't emerge. And so the same thing with chronic pain, remember the default language is survival. That's adrenaline, cortisol, histamines, and they're the stress chemicals. So that's the default language. And so we keep trying to fix that. And the reality is you want to create a vision of what you want your life to look like and pursue it. Just like you pursued Spanish, you need to pursue a new language, which I call an enjoyable life. And so it's good food, good wine, good friends. And it's not obsessively pursuing this to avoid the anxiety. It's just, what do I want my life to look like? And you start moving forward with that vision, with or without your pain. The hardest part, including myself, even still 20 years later, is we want to fix the anxiety but what you're doing is you place your attention to what you want your life to look like as you quit using the pathways. It's like any skill that you don't use. It starts to atrophy. As you develop this new language, it becomes stronger. But again, you didn't learn Spanish by trying to fix your English. You're not going to learn this new language of an enjoyable life by trying to fix your old life because your attention's in the wrong spot. Again, going to the idea of neuroplasticity, that your brain's going to develop where it replaces its attention, that's what's going to happen. And so you, you learn a new language. And again, what happens, people learn to live a life that is wonderful. The anxiety is not going to go away. You're always going to have anxiety. You're always going to have bad days and bad weeks. You'll get triggered, et cetera. And just going back to the family situation is that when your body is full of stress chemicals and you're anxious, there's a process called mirror neurons that when you walk in the door of the house and you're angry and upset, it directly stimulates the nervous systems of the people in your household. So when you talk about your kids acting up, you've had a bad day at work or you're in chronic pain and in a bad mood, it's not psychological. The research shows is that this was found out by accident, by the way, in the 40s. But for instance, when you smile at a baby, the baby smiles back, right? Well, the baby doesn't, it's not because the baby's happy. It's because the baby disappeared what the baby saw. And so it's called mirror neurons. They've also done MRI scans of football fans watch a quarterback throw the football. And guess what? The throwing center of the fan's brains lights up. So it's a direct stimulation if you're in a great mood. You know, when people laugh, why do they start to laugh? That doesn't make any sense psychologically, right? But what happens when you laugh, it actually stimulates that part of the other person's brain. So, and I'd love to talk about this in a future podcast. For it, but there's huge, huge 
manifestations of chronic pain in the family, both negatively and positively. And again, it's sort of a, a subset of what we're talking about today. But I tell my patients, look, if you're in a bad mood, don't walk into the house ever. Just don't do it because you're going to set your whole family off and you're going to get into this battle. It makes your pain worse. And I've done research on this also. And so if you upset your family and your family's upsetting you, and now you're upsetting your family. So you get into this huge ping pong game within your household, this sort of, sort of a disaster. So we do ask every person in the family to engage. We tell people never to discuss their pain. We say, if you're in a bad mood, don't walk in the front door. Who visualize who that, who is your family seeing when you walk through the door and I ask my, people, my patients the question, do you like your family? And they say, of course. They go, why do you want to take out your bad mood on them? Because it happens a lot, as you know. So we found out that we can do all these things we talk about right now as far as chronic pain. But if we don't deal with the family triggers, which, by the way, are the deepest triggers, everything goes out the door. We also conversely found out if we understand the family dynamics. It's not dynamics. Family neurological interactions that's the most powerful reactive way of coming out of chronic pain you can imagine. It's just unbelievable. So that's actually not in my book. That's on the website. So I wrote, so the book's the book, the framework. I put the website together, backincontrol.com, because it's the action plan of the book. So you can read the book, fine, but you have to learn the tools that actually decrease your body's stress chemicals. So it becomes a learned skill, and some days are better than others, but you just learn to auto-regulate your body's chemistry in a real regular way, and life starts to change dramatically. I love the language learning concept because it can take a while to learn a new language. And if you're not practicing your language, the skill will atrophy, as you discussed. How long did it take you to learn your new language? Well, you know, it's, it's been an evolutionary process. I mean, honestly, this metaphor of the family just came about about two years ago in a 15-year journey. Um but we hold a workshop back in New York every year. My wife, daughter, myself is based on awareness, hope, forgiveness, and play. And we, again, we've not had a chance to talk about anger here. But the bottom line is it can happen within a week or two. I mean, what happens is that all of us have play pathways. That's how the human brain develops. So part of the process is creating new circuits around the old circuits. But the other factor that's way more powerful is simply shifting onto circuits that are pleasant. Because what happens, we all have play pathways as part of our development. They get buried under life in general. And by reconnecting with the best part of who you are, things can happen extremely quickly. So we have people within weeks actually go pain-free. Now, remember when I say pain-free, I say that tongue-in-cheek because life keeps coming at you. There's no beginning or end point to this process. So if you get triggered, you're triggered. I still get triggered, which I'm not very happy about, but nonetheless, it's always going to be there. Mm-hmm. One of my tools is learning how to fail well is that life – so when you get triggered and you're upset, your body chemistry is elevated, why you, first of all, allow yourself to feel the pain. And I wrote a website post called The Ring of Fire. So the essence of this is that you become stressed, triggered, you're upset. So that's fine. You don't want to suppress anxiety. You don't want to suppress anger. But you also don't want to act out while you're in that mood. I have a little saying called no action in a reaction. Because when you're reacting, you're just surviving. It's just really a blind reaction that's really difficult for the people around you. And so, for instance, if you take the word reactive and take the letter C out of the middle, it becomes creative, right? You can't be creative if you're reacting. Mm. So you just create that, remember, it's awareness, separation, reprogramming. So you become aware, okay, I'm upset. And you make a decision to withdraw from taking it out on anybody, and then you reprogram. 
So the workshop is a three-day workshop at the Omega Institute in New York. We hold it every year based on awareness, hope, forgiveness, and play. And we teach people how to let go and forgive. Because remember, forgiveness is awareness separation. But you have to allow yourself to feel the emotion, whether it's anxiety or anger. And that's one of the hardest parts of the process. And again, not so hard compared to suppressing it. But once you allow yourself to feel anxious and feel angry, then you separate. Then you can redirect. So you're, so the ring of fire is that the green ring in the center is just being. The red ring in the middle is anxiety, frustration. And the blue ring is what we do to enjoy ourselves. What I did with my life is I was obsessed with being in the blue ring. I was busy. I was accomplished, all these different things. And I did it. I was able to avoid my anxiety and frustration by being in the blue ring. But eventually you get worn out. So I sunk into the red ring and got completely immersed in it. I ended up in the middle by default. But remember, anxiety and frustration are part of life. So what I've trained myself to do is I allow myself to feel anxious. I allow myself to feel angry. And you train your brain to be less chemically reactive to it. So within minutes or hours, I can come out of my reactions where it used to be days and weeks. And, it, and of course, before I went through my burnout, I was in the red ring. I was in the blue ring all the time trying to stay out of the red ring. But, but if you're in the middle of just being, if you want to meet new friends, new adventures, et cetera, you still have to go through the red ring because anxiety happens with new experiences, right? So it's called the ring of fire. It's that the essence of mental health is actually training your brain to be comfortable with uncomfortable emotions. The uncomfortable emotions are never going to be okay. I mean, they're uncomfortable for a reason. So the key is you, you allow yourself to feel your pain then miraculously, then you can move forward. Yeah. I love the tools that you gave earlier of that. You can, when you have this thought and no one is immune to this, you write down the thought and then you can rip it up. Like, so you create a tangible thing with it. Um, you, you mentioned earlier about having kind of these pillars, awareness, separation, and reprogramming to work on the neuroplasticity. I think this is why, um, different types of therapy often work because this is really kind of the concepts that they're walking through on a weekly or really routine basis, right? They're asking people to make, be aware of their pain and then possibly, I mean, it depends on their own protocols. But as you said that I thought of, okay, this is sometimes what people are doing in therapy sometimes, right? Uh, Occasionally. Um, But you're taking a little bit different, uh, a more direct approach. Like you're definitely taking the, uh, you're, you're disconnecting the human from the feeling in a way I feel like, and trying to take a big macro. I love being able to step back and look at the big picture. And I feel like that's kind of, that's, that's the entire approach you've you've done here. Um, the other thing is people don't really want to hear this exactly. Right. So I want to mention this because one of the questions I was going to ask you is, are you saying this is all in someone's head? Because that's, that's like a hot button question, right? Well, we talked about this before. I mean, the body is just a unit. I mean, medicine has done a horrible thing to the human to human race by separating the mind versus the body. The metaphor we used before is like trying to fly on Boeing 740 jet, 747 jet without a computer, right? It can't be done. Your computer is taking in all this data through sensors, through altimeters, gas gauges, you know, flap angles, etc. So you can't fly a jet. A jet, I think, has something like 2 million parts to it. You can't fly that jet without a computer, right? Right. And so it's just a unit. And so you can't fly the computer without a jet. 
Same thing with the nervous system. So the human body has 50 trillion cells in it. There's 80 billion brain cells. And, then, and there's actually 1 million pain fibers per square inch in the skin. So the, it, so the nervous system is completely intertwined with the body. And it's not that it startles you. I mean, there's an automatic re- reflex of a consciousness, but also your whole body's reacting instantly. It's just a unit response. So the thing with pain, remember, pain is an output. In other words, you're taking all the sensory input. So if I look at the sun, it's too bright. My brain says it's unpleasant, so I look away, right? So your brain's intended to keep you in a range of behaviors that's safe. That's how we evolve. It's called the nociceptive system. So you're not putting your hand on a hot stove. You're not sitting on a sharp tack. You're not walking barefoot on hot pavement because your brain says that's dangerous. People that have lost sensations, for instance, paraplegics, get skin sores because they don't have protective sensation in their skin. So the only reason something is painful or unpleasant is because your brain says it's painful or unpleasant. So so every input counts, thoughts included. Your brain interprets that and says that it's painful or not. So when you say it's in your head or not in your head, it makes no sense because it's just part of the nervous system's response to survive. So we were talking off air about autoimmunity always having this uh, stress foundation almost. And I think I've never talked to someone with an autoimmune condition that didn't have a big pile of stress somewhere. So even though people don't always want to talk about stress or it's the less sexy version of of what we're not even stress or anxiety, um, it's a less sexy thing to talk about as how can you fix this on your own? It needs to be done because if you don't fix it, you continue to have these symptoms. And I won't go into this, but as you were talking about your own symptoms, I was thinking about the nutritional manifestations that happen from stress that cause deficiencies that cause symptoms. And one thing I just wanted to say is that if you don't control the root cause, which is maybe stress, probably stress, whatever, um, then you will have a relapse of that symptom regardless of how you correct it with nutrients. Um, This is why I love podcasts as well because as you were saying, medicine, you left medicine because it was becoming too much of a sound bite, right? Like we want this like quick, quick, quick. And and the beautiful thing about this podcast is you can – uh, you can maybe say something that wasn't very popular and then quickly redeem yourself with all the science and, and um, the story that backs it up. So so uh, we can't live in sound bites. We kind of need this bigger picture of understanding everything. I would love right. to have a follow-up where we get to talk about manifestations of pain in the family and talk about some of the other things um, that happen with these particular other symptoms and other conditions that can come from these the upregulation of all these stress hormones. So I think we'll plan to do that for sure. But Dr. Hanscom, if you could leave people with one thought today of like, if people are listening to this and saying, oh my gosh, he is talking directly to me, what do you want to leave them with? Well, the essence of healing is simply connecting to your own capacity to heal. And so what that allows you to do is to auto-regulate your own body's chemistry from a stress profile, which is inevitable, to more of a favorable profile of relaxation stress chemicals. So most of the time we're in this neutral zone and so when you're stressed, as you become aware of the stress, then you use these tools that are not very difficult to decrease your stress chemicals. The essence of the solution, by the way, is feeling safe. Because when you feel safe, then you can relax, correct? Mm-hmm. And so we, none of us feel safe from our thoughts unless we learn the skill. And, of course, we don't. life is competitive. There's lots of things that threaten us. So a lot of things that threaten us are real. But what happens is you stay in this stressed, agitated state while you have less capacity to actually solve the problems. So again, the idea is to actually become aware and connect to who you are and to train your nervous system to feel safe. 
and you're in situations that aren't safe, um, change them. But but that is the essence of the solution is actually connecting your own healing capacity and feeling safe. Yeah, love it. Dr. Hanscom, where can people find you online? Um, my website is backincontrol.com. And if people want to get a hold of me, they can get a hold of me through the website. Um, we do. I have a somatic therapist who is wonderful who does some limited coaching. I do a little bit of limited coaching myself, but I don't have much time anymore. Um, but um, it's a very self-directed process. The books are available on, on Amazon called Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap on a Chronic Pain. <clears throat> I am releasing a new book this fall called um, Do You Really Need Spine Surgery? Take, take Control with Advice from a Surgeon. And it takes the combination of the back and control book, but allows you to make a methodical surgical decision, taking all the factors into account. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm widely available. I'm working extremely hard to get this, this out at a national level. And I really appreciate, again, being on your show to actually help your listeners um, hear some of these concepts. I love it too. Uh, because the world wants sound bites, sometimes we're thinking, we try to think of how do we, how do we summarize things in sound bites? And one of the ones I use frequently is, uh, when you're a, a patient, right? So we're all, we all use a medical system in some capacity. When you're a patient, you have to right. be your own advocate and you really have to almost direct your own care sometimes in order to get the outcomes you want. Otherwise you can sometimes just kind of get pushed through the system and, and not really get the results you want. And in a way, uh, you know, you're a huge advocate, really directing your own care and taking control. So um, right. you're, you're the epitome, you're the uh, living out version of, of that statement. So thank you so much for coming on. I look forward to our next conversation. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate this very much. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stress Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stress Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 